Thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Your decision in pharmacy has a lasting impact. The daily decisions of people in our industry influence patients, affect families, and change our environment. That's why I want to tell you about AltiGuard Safe Pack, a product from Altimed that makes choosing which pen needle to dispense an easy decision. AltiGuard Safe Pack pen needles are an FDA cleared product that provides 100 premium pen needles in a sharps container, all in one convenient package system. When you dispense the AltiGuard Safe Pack, you protect families and your community from sharps injuries and you remove medical waste from the environment. To learn more, visit altiguardsafepack.com forward slash podcast. That's altiguardsafepack.com forward slash podcast. When you dispense the AltiGuard Safe Pack, you choose positive change. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Let's Pharmanize, a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Shane Garrettson. And I'm Cal Vandegrift. And I'm Mickey Ferguson. And today we're going to talk about the Tuskegee syphilis experiments. All that and more on Let's Pharmanize. That's good. Okay. Sexy. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views and opinions expressed within are those of the authors and speakers themselves and do not necessarily represent any affiliated institution or third party. who are survivors of the syphilis study at Tuskegee are a living link to a time not so very long ago that many Americans would prefer not to remember, but we dare not forget. It was a time when our nation failed to live up to its ideals, when our nation broke the trust with our people that is the very foundation of our democracy. It is not only in remembering that shameful past that we can make amends and repair our nation, but it is in remembering that past that we can build a better present and a better future. All right, so I'd like to gauge, to begin, everyone's knowledge about the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Minimal. Minimal? Yeah. Not enough. Not enough. Right, I agree with that sentiment, not enough. So I would like to start with the precedent that the medical community has set prior to this happening. So the Tuskegee syphilis experiment began in 1932. At this point in time, we did not know that penicillin was a good treatment for syphilis. So they rounded up a bunch of, I think, exclusively African-American males with syphilis and observed them. Mm -hmm. However, once we did learn that penicillin was an effective treatment for syphilis, they just decided not to give it to them because, lol, let's just see what happens kind of thing. That's pretty awful. Not good. Not a a, good start. This is about the extent of my knowledge. Yeah, this is about as far as I know. Okay, so we we kind of all know the general premise, Mm -hmm. but the, the precedent for experimentation on black and indigenous people in America 
goes back all the way to the days of slavery. There was uh, a man, or better called a human piece of garbage called James Marion Sims, who is considered the father of American gynecology. He made a lot of advances in medicine. Um, I believe he helped develop a better method of C-section. He helped to raise infant or decrease infant mortality rates, I should say, through his various methods of surgical intervention and complications in pregnancy. Unfortunately, he did almost all of his experimentations exclusively on black slaves, Mm -hmm. which you can imagine is pretty problematic as to why that's an ethical issue. All of his patients had no informed consent, no way to deny his treatments, and almost all of them were at least in some way experimental patients. He would be trying things which he had never tried before. All of these are violations of modern medical ethics, and the Tuskegee syphilis experiments are what brought us into the modern era where we really need to sit down and think about the ethical implications of the medical services and the medical experiments we do. At least a 1,000 African-American males infected with syphilis were observed during the course of this experiment. This experiment ran, I believe, until 1964 or somewhere thereabouts, but the long-term effects of syphilis continued because not all of them were treated even after the experiment concluded. Sorry, when did you, when did you say that this experiment started? 1932. Jesus. Yeah. 30 years? Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. And to make it even worse, this was at this was affiliated with Tuskegee University, which I'm, I hope both of you know has an extremely rich history of fostering academic growth in the black community. You have people like Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, and many, many other people who are alums of this university who've contributed greatly to the scientific progress of mankind through this university. I did not know that, actually. I mean, I know that I've heard of Tuskegee University, obviously, but I didn't know that Booker T. Washington and those guys were alum of them. Yeah, um, they basically founded it. That's awesome. But to continue to have such a devastating, like, experiment associated with that is kind of insulting. Yeah. There was some restitution given to the survivors of this experiment in 1974. However, I'd argue that progression to neurosyphilis, unknowingly infecting your family members and your children with syphilis, far outweighs any monetary compensation that would have been given. Not only was this affiliated with the uh, university, it was also affiliated with the United States government, which is how they were able to be compensated in the first place. If this was a private institution, almost certainly there would have been an arbitration clause in the agreement when they signed up for the experiment saying that they couldn't be sued, which is what is modern praxis today. Now, just as an aside, for the listeners that may not be aware of what syphilis is and what it can do to the body, um, would you mind breaking that down a little bit further for us? Absolutely. So syphilis is a... It's an STD, first of all. Well, you can get it in more than one way. But largely, yes, it is sexually transmitted disease. It's what's called a spirochete bacterial infection. It's a little noodly boy that wiggles into your cells. Jesus. And uh, it makes everything really bad. So for the first couple weeks, you're kind of sick. And then for a long time, you might not notice any symptoms at all. And then years down the line, after you've forgotten you've even had it, you start to lose mental function. You start to forget things. You start to have trouble with hand-eye coordination. You start to have memory loss. That's when it's neurosyphilis, and that's pretty much right before, you know, it kills you. I think it's important to mention, too, that... 
uh, syphilis was nothing new at this time in 1932. A lot of English and French royalty have been well documented as having syphilis yeah. and having, uh, I can't forget which French king was the specific one that had syphilis, but there, there was a big one and I hate Pretty that sure. I'm blanking it. Glad you brought that up, Cal. It wasn't a new disease at the time. We knew what it was. We just didn't know how to treat it. So when we did eventually find out that penicillin G is a super effective cure for syphilis, um, if you get it in the initial stage, all you need is one intramuscular injection and you're good. You're golden. If you have neurosyphilis, you can treat that in about seven to 10 days with modern purity penicillin. Once we figured that out, though, that should have been the end of the experiment. Okay, we figured it out. Cool. Uh, everyone who we know has syphilis here, come on in. We'll, you know, get you taken care of. They might not have been able to do that in the 40s because even back then, antibiotic production was super difficult and it was really sparse. In World War II, we used uh, mostly sulfa drugs for antibiotics. We didn't use penicillin, even though it was way better. And that was because it was super difficult to produce at the time. So in the 40s, okay, we can kind of excuse that. It's still kind of crummy that you only included African-American people in this study to begin with. But okay, when the 50s rolls around, antibiotic production ramps up. You should be able to get all these people cleared out. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of these people were A, poor, B, uneducated, and C, outright uh, ostracized from medical society. So when they would come in to get observed by the doctors to see the progression of the experiment, oftentimes they were just disregarded. Uh, they would be given basic once-overs to make sure that they didn't get other serious infections like gas gangrene or something like that. But generally speaking, the doctors didn't care. They just observed, wrote it down, and they left. So that was the really big issue for me was, okay, once you guys have enough production to treat these people and you have the knowledge to treat them, why aren't you? So I have another question. So unlike uh, a disease like gonorrhea, which is um, particularly symptomatic in males, where it's obvious that it, it, a male with a male who has gonorrhea, it's obvious that they have gonorrhea based on the symptoms. But syphilis can present in both male and women, often in like rashes or, or like nasty warts that aren't really itchy. Do you speculate that there's a reason why the African American male population was specifically tested, or do you think do you think there was some ethics behind that that would say like we're not doing this to women, we're only going to do this to the men? Male population is the any evidence of that? Well, men were chosen because it was much easier to justify. Making medical observations on men was just seen as easier. And the reason why only African-Americans were studied was because those were the population that they cared the least about. Right. It's, it's Tuskegee, Alabama. Like, yeah. There's... If it were actually conducted ethically, if it were conducted better science as well, they should have gotten a broad range of people. Mm -hmm. But it was easier and it was more convenient if people died um, during this experiment if they were African-American because they figured there would be less pushback and no one would care. Around the same time, a woman by the name of Henrietta Lacks came in for some surgery. She needed an operation and the doctors noticed something weird about her cells. So they collected them without her consent. These cells turned out to be immortal. They would not die on their own. Most cells, when you take them out of a human body, do not divide infinitely. They at some point will stop growing and all of them will die. However, Henrietta's cells kept growing. You kept giving them glucose, you kept giving them a good environment to grow in, and they kept growing on a Petri dish. It was insane at the time. I want to say this was probably the first immortal cell line we ever found. Mm -hmm. 
now we found several others in various different species, but this was probably the first one in humans we ever found. The issue is partly that they collected her cells without her consent. The bigger problem is that they also never offered her any compensation for that. Right, and that they've used the cells in like gene therapies and stuff since They then, have right? used these cells in so many different therapies, and I'm sure there has been at least a dozen companies that have made multiple millions of dollars for because sure. of this discovery, and she was never compensated for I it. I think millions is a modest number. I bet it's upward in the billions. No, I think we should, uh, we should uh, definitely say um, how these cells replicate. We don't have to go into mechanisms, but she, the reason that they were rep constant replicating was because she had cervical cancer, and they were cancer cells. Um, and she wound up dying from those. And I think she was only like 31 years old when she died. Mm -hmm. And um, those HeLa cells have been used, they, they are still used today. That, that's, that's interesting. But do you think that it might be because she wasn't compensated ever? Because honestly, by the time this broke out, she had already passed away at that point. Even so. Maybe compensating the family members more so, but I, I'm not so sure about the whole, the origin of it. Yeah, they were never compensated either. Um, Didn't they just very recently finally win something after like 50 years? If they did, it wasn't enough for and me. It was to... like a trifling. I, I might be have imagining this, but I just I remember reading an article um, about them winning some kind of restitution to grandchildren. So still like ridiculous and, and decades too late. But I I bring up both the the past and a concurrent event with the Tuskegee syphilis experiment to to emphasize that this is not an ancient problem that had been solved by the time this happened, and it was also not something that was exclusive to this experiment. Um, and I'm sure there are many other examples which we just don't know because we don't have records of stuff like this happening to people of poor socioeconomic status, poor um, race status, so like black Americans, Hispanic Americans, mixed race people of color. That kind of stuff almost certainly happened more often than we want to believe. And I think it's important that we take a look at it going forward. I've met multiple people who are skeptical of the COVID vaccine because of things like the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, of what happened to Henrietta Lacks, of what James Marion Sims did back in the slave days. They're distrustful of modern medicine because they have seen the ethics failures of modern medicine. And I don't blame them for that, but I think we as medical professionals need to sort of reassure them and show them, most importantly, we need to show them that we are worthy of their trust again. I agree with that. That's really profound, too. And I think that that's um, a problem that we all need to work towards. I think the memories and the histories of this, these events and things like these are, are, are lingering blight on the modern medical community. Absolutely. And while it might not be as horrific and shocking as the things that happened in Auschwitz, that happened in Treblinka, that happened in Unit 731, the things that the Japanese did to the Chinese when they invaded China in World War II, they're still ours and we need to take ownership of them if we want to call ourselves uh, American patriots, I think. You need to own the good and the bad. I want to mention something real quick because I was doing some research while you were, while you were talking. Mm -hmm. And so, um, no is the answer. The family's still not been compensated by the American really? government or anyone oh, like that. Man. However, um, recently, I, I remember seeing previews for this, but an HBO-specific release based on the book by Rebecca Skloot, um, it was called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Yeah, it was Oprah. Yeah, and Oprah, Oprah played the granddaughter of Henrietta Lacks. Basically in that... Um, 
there were five members of the Lacks family that contributed to that, one of which was even portrayed in the movie as himself. But it looks like, at the very least, HBO says that they um, paid them rather well for, for their contributions to the, to the effort. So, um, and that was done in 2018. So if there's any solace that you can take out of that, they, they at least got paid for their efforts in the story of, of, their, grand, of their grandmother. Yeah, she was, um, no, that was actually um, Johns Hopkins University, I think. That no, she was, in, in Maryland. Yeah. I think she, that was where Henrietta Lacks, or the, the cells were first, yeah. were first cloned. Yep. In this current climate where we're, where we're recognizing social injustices a lot more, I think it's important to remember these huge landmark incidences in history, and particularly United States history. I think that, um, I think he did a great job talking about it. You know, we get taught these things as medical students. We were taught about Tuskegee, and we were taught about Henrietta Lacks. Um, but the general public may not know about this. So I think I, I appreciate you coming forward and, and, t- and talking about this with us. Yeah, I mean, that those HeLa cells were monumental. The things that it wound up aiding in the research of, think about if we did not have those currently. Polio vaccine, gene overall gene mapping, recognizing the human genome, that was part, HeLa cells were used for that. AIDS research, cancer research, particularly cervical cancer, development of in, in vitro fertilization, cloning techniques, and many more medical minds, milestones, all developed from this one person from Maryland. Crazy. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's crazy, and it's a, it's a darn shame. It's a national disgrace that that woman did not ever get compensated for that. For her contributions, I mean, it is a and, disgrace. And none of her, none of her children did either. I don't know the socioeconomic status that Henrietta Lacks was in. They were very poor. She was, a, she was a tobacco farmer, and she was the wife of a steel worker. Even, even worse. She was a mother of five as well. I think we should end this on a lighter note. I think we could all agree that, yes, these were tremendous issues that we had in in modern medical history, but I think we've gotten a little bit better, and I think. Um, certainly better than we were in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. I think we've become a lot more ethical. We've become a lot more patient-centered. And I think that's a big thing that we need to recognize, is that, yes, we are getting better. There's still a long way to go, but we're getting better. And as a whole medical community, I think, honestly, it's a lot more positive. We're doing great things now, particularly with research. We're still using HeLa cells. Yeah, and I think, I think overall we can say that we talk about Henrietta Lacks in pharmacy school. They talk about him in medical school because she shaped the, basically a lot of the understandings of medicine that we have today. So at the very least, she gave us that. I think that's important. Absolutely.